to Equity Girls. I'm your host, Amy, and I'm with my co-host, Julia. And in this week's episode, we'll be interviewing Maggie Palmer, the CEO of Pep Talk Her. Pep Talk Her was founded with the sole purpose of bridging the gender pay gap and act as a catalyst for change for women across the world. Maggie Palmer founded Pep Talk Her after experiencing inequality at work. Pep Talk Her are leading advocates for change and empower women across the world, providing training, education for some of the biggest companies, including Salesforce, JP Morgan, LinkedIn, uh, and they also have this awesome app, which can give you a career pep talk. So welcome, Maggie. Maggie, sorry. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me, Amy and Julia. It's awesome to be here. We're so excited to have you, Maggie. Absolutely. Yeah, I can't wait to chat. Yeah, I'm. I'm just for those who don't know much about you. I would love you to just share a little bit about your background and how you came about to create her pep talker. Yeah, so I started my career as a journalist in Australia uh, and had an experience of pay inequality. Um, and that really was the catalyst for me to found Pep Talk Her, which is on a mission to close the gender pay gap. So yeah, I used to gallivant around Australia and then eventually around the world as a journalist and correspondent um, for Aussie networks and then at the BBC World um, in London and other places like that. Um, yeah, so it's a little bit different um, now running my own business as an entrepreneur, uh, but it's good fun and we're super proud of the impact that we're having. Um, we have about 60,000 professional women in our community who we help support to get promotions and get pay raises through our free app and a bunch of courses and stuff like that. So when you actually started Pep Talk Her, how did you go about it? Did you just decide that you had the idea and just start a web page? Like who did you get in contact with and, you know, how did you get it all up and running? I'm actually curious. Yeah, now. so I think like a lot of entrepreneurs, like I, I think a lot of businesses start when you get pissed off, frankly, or frustrated exactly at something that's that not kind of working. Yeah. Or, yeah, like this is a problem, you know? I need to solve it now. <laughs> totally. Totally. And so for me, the problem was like, how do you handle it when you figure out accidentally or on purpose that you're getting paid less than people of a different gender? Um, and when there's no other reason for your paying conditions to be any different. And technically that's illegal. You're not allowed to do that in most developed countries. Um, but it does happen and it still impacts a lot of women. And what's so interesting in Australia actually is that there are still pay secrecy clauses that exist. So in the United States and in the United Kingdom, pay secrecy clauses are illegal. But in Australia, they're still legal, which means that um, you will find a lot of people who work in the financial services industry will find in the fine print of their contract, it'll actually say you're not allowed to discuss your pain conditions with your colleagues. And if you do, it's grounds for sacking. So that, of course, you know, perpetuates a lack of transparency around salary and pay, um, which can make it a lot harder for people to figure out if, in fact, you know, they're being paid less. I have a, yeah. a, a story of, a co you know, an industry colleague of mine who was a BDM for a big, um, you know, I think it was a wrap, like a Macquarie wrap. It wasn't that. I'm not going to. Mm -hmm. But it was one of those big sort of organ banking organisations. And she was killing it and she knew it. She was kicking her KPIs and she was um, then, you know, up there and found out when she had an appraisal that she was in the top three in the country as a, in sales, you know, as a BDM role. So she then asked about a pay increase and it was sort of like, oh, 
um, <clears throat> well, yeah, well, uh, we can't do that kind of thing. And she said, okay, how about this? Um, of that top three, am I paid the same as someone in the top 20 or am I paid more? And it found, she found out through this question that she was actually paid less than the person in that top 20. It was a particular person she knew of, so she, mm-hmm. I think she sort of found out that they were sitting in the 20 par. And she was in the number three level and found out that she was earning less than that person in this organisation. And at that point she made some hard calls and actually moved on. But Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and this is, you know, unfortunately I hear stories like this every week. We have, um, there's around 60,000 women in the community. And so they're always like sending emails or DMing, um, pep talk her on Instagram and stuff like that with stories of this, right? There's also certain websites, um, that we give people access to as well, which is actually super interesting. It actually, so especially if you're moving to the United States, there's a website that when employers apply for visa, um, for visas for people, they actually have to give the salary that they're paying people. Um, and so you can get very current and up-to-date um, salary information online if you know where to look. Um, and so sometimes it's hard because you go to salary.com or, you know, Glassdoor or whatever, and the range will be like 40000 to $410,000. And you're like, well, that's it's completely useless. inaccurate. Right. So, so outdated. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, you kind of got to know where to look. And so that's, you know, our purpose is all around making it easy to get the information, giving you scripts so that you can have those conversations. Because again, I think a lot of us have been conditioned to think that negotiations need to be aggressive or yeah. have a winner and a loser, but actually there's a way to kind of reframe that so that it's um, looking more towards an outcome that's going to suit both of you, right? That's going to work for you and for your employer. Um, so yeah, we try and navigate people through that process that a lot of us find stressful, right? When you're asking for a raise or for a promotion. What industry across the board do you see the biggest gender pay gaps? I know here in Australia, I'm not, I've obviously been in finance for way too long. That sort of narrow vision there that I know that we've got about a 20% pay gap, but what industry and what, or what situation have you ever seen just massive gaps? Yeah. I mean, it depends, you know, it does depend on the industry, right? But we know that um, financial services and insurance, there's a massive pay gap in the professional scientific and technical services, which is a pretty broad area, but um, that that has a massive pay gap. Um, Health as well, doctors, there's a huge pay gap. And do you know what's so interesting? Even even nurses. So even if you like um, nursing is disproportionately female, right? Like there are more women nurses um, than men. And yet there is a pay gap in nursing in favor of the blokes. Um, wow. so that is shocking. Go figure. You, um, where are you finding, yeah. where do you find this information? That's insane. Well, so in Australia, um, it's mandatory for companies over a certain size to report their gender pay gap. Um, to Wajia, which is a government agency in the United Kingdom. It's mandatory for companies, again, um, of a certain size to report their pay gap in the United States. It is not mandatory yet, although we are seeing certain progressive states like California move towards a situation where companies do need to report. And the reason that reporting is important is because data and facts matter. And when you, when you see it um, on paper, it's quite stark. And so it means that it puts pressure on business to fix the problem. And it also gives all of you listening today 
power yeah. because you can in fact look up the company that you're going to work for and see is there a pay gap and if there is how big is it um and that's going to again knowledge is power right that gives you the capacity to better negotiate and position and advocate for yourself um when you're applying for jobs and also to make a choice you might decide i don't want to work i don't stand for that yeah yeah, yeah. i don't I don't want to work for someone who's not going to give equal pay. Absolutely. I definitely am an advocate for that. So you you mentioned about how um, women can kind of make choices and and advocate for themselves when they're going for those roles or if they're going for a promotion in particular. And so do you have any tips? Like I know if they're to sign up for the app, they're going to – I love the um, app. I did a a little bit of research. It it sounded like it's something – Actually, you could probably even explain it. But, yeah, if they're going for those roles, do you have any tips for them? Um, obviously, get the app if uh, – We'll have that in the show help. notes. But, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, if you could provide some more information about, you know, what the app actually does and if you have any other tips for people who are afraid to negotiate and navigate that situation because, you know, it's all well and true and easy to say um, that, you know, I'm getting paid less and I want to stand up for myself, but how do they go about actually doing that? Hmm. Yeah, We need some practical yeah, tips. And, and this is the d- – the double bind that we find ourselves in right like so we know that if, if you do find out like I did if you find out that there is a discrepancy what happens is that women are then penalized for speaking up right or we're considered high maintenance or a bitch or whatever and so that sucks frankly mm-hmm. like it's not cool um I don't know why we have that stigma yeah, there is a stigma, right? And so we need to be aware of it's a bit of a dance that you have to do. Um, I'm not saying that's okay, but um, if you want to protect the political capital that you have within the organization, it makes sense if you can to kind of treat it sensitively, right? So that you get the best outcome for yourself um, right now and also in the longer term, right? And so um, knowledge is power. So the first thing that I would say to your audience is like, start talking about your salary. Like, let's Let's demystify that talking about money is taboo or naughty or nasty or whatever people yes. think. Are we going to start talking about this because how good's money? 100%. Like, well, it's amazing. We're trying to bridge the gender wealth gap. This is why we've got you here. It's exactly it, – it goes hand in hand. If we want to have this financial independence, we need to be – Comfortable about talking about money, comfortable talking about what we're earning, comfortable talking about how to invest it, comfortable about what's going on with our super. All of these things we have to be open and talk about. And that's exactly the point, you know, you're saying this woman who I was talking about before, the only reason why she actually did that in the appraisals, she had a conversation with someone else in her organization and realized that she was earning less. Yeah, exactly. So, and yeah, knowledge is power, right? So like, I think, and here's the thing, like, it's a bit awkward if, even if it's to your best mate or one of your friends, if you're like, oh, Hey, so how much money do you earn? Like, what's your exact salary? Like a bit awkward. So probably don't do that. Um, what, what I always suggest to people, what you can do instead is you can say, Hey, listen, um, I'm really on a mission, um, to really take control of my finances right now. And so I'm pushing myself to talk openly about my salary a little more. So I was wondering if I could have a conversation with you. I'm going for a marketing manager role. I was thinking that it would be appropriate for me to ask for around sixty-five dollars to $69,000. Does that seem about right for you? So if you couch things in terms of a range, it kind of allows people to say, 
no girl, you should be going for 75. When I was a managing, like when I was a marketing director, that's what I got. Or as if I'm still on 40, you've got no chance, whatever. <laughs> it kind of gives people permission yeah. a little bit. If, like, cause I think if you ask people for an exact figure, it's a little tougher. Um, and you can say yeah. things like, Hey, um, when you were at my point in my career, can I be so bold as to ask what was the salary range you were earning? You know, yeah. so things like that is kind of, it's a nice way of framing the language so that your colleagues or your friends feel comfortable starting to open up. Now you might be cool with your bestie to be like, Hey, I'm on 82 K. How about you? But it's not always the case with people that you maybe work with. So, you know, start with people that you trust and respect yeah. who you can have those conversations with and then push yourself to start to talk about it. Like also talk to your friends about investing. Like, do they own any crypto? Do they own any shares? Are they, you know, side hustling? How, what are they thinking about their retirement? And I know it's like not that exciting to think about retirement, but I'm in my mid thirties now and I'm sitting here thinking, damn it. I wish that I had maxed out my super when I was like 23. And back then I was like, no, no. I'll take that extra $60 a week. And like, you know, I'll go to Bali or whatever. And I should have not been so stupid, frankly, because I have, um, we run a career level up program to help people who want to get a promotion or a raise. And one of my students, actually, she's been maxing her super since she was like 19 and she's crushing it. Like I can't even She's. I think she's maybe 30. She has so much money in superannuation. It's disgusting. Like, yeah, I so worked, much money. Yeah. I worked in a superannuation department and it really highlighted yeah. to me how great of an investment vehicle it is. It's insane. Yeah. It should, and it should be, it's so much more undeveloped, undervalued. Um, and it's like not spoken about at our, like in our age, which group. is what actually started us because, uh, Julia became a client of mine and she's my youngest ever client, right? I've never had a 24-year-old come to me wanting to get financial advice around their investments in superannuation and what to do with their savings. I was like, wow, this is actually really cool. And I like to do a bit of a forecast yeah. and show if you were to do this, and we did a, session, a talk on this the other day on compounding interest, but if you were to put that small amount, maxed as much as you could, additional salary sacrifice and that extra 60 bucks, of, you know, a every pay cycle that could just compound into incredible amounts of money. And you think about, well, if I love this lifestyle now, I may as well make sure that I've got that later. You know, I can then travel, I can do whatever I can have actually even retire earlier. You've got more freedom when you've got more money. Yeah. And you can enjoy your retirement. It's like if you're 80 and you want to keep traveling, you don't want to be traveling down the back in cattle class. Like you want to be able to afford premium economy <laughs> or business or yeah. And like that, that for a lot of us feels out of reach right now, but if we're smart with our retirement, it's pretty amazing what can happen. And, you know, my thing is all about closing the pay gap. And if you earn more money, you can invest more money, right? Or you can give more money away. You can give it to your brother. You can buy your mom a nice car, I you know, give it to the, um, the homeless charity. It doesn't matter to me what you do with it, but take advantage of the money that's on the table and that you're leaving on the table. Right. And so yeah. one of the things that I always say to people is like, you need to be asking for a raise every year. Like you just have to. And if you so want, do you ask them when, you know, when you go to your, for your appraisals, do you just downright ask, I want more money? How do you go about, like, how do you go about asking that question? I mean, you can, you can say, um, hi, I want more money. That's fine. Or you can come prepared and you can say, hi, Stephanie, as you know, this year I have hired three team members. 
I've increased our SEO results by 32%. I've signed on four new clients with a value of $800,000 to the business. And, you know, I've spoken on three panels, which has contributed to our Instagram growth. Given my successes this year, I'd love to discuss with you a new title reflective of the senior role that I now play and compensation commensurate with that. So you can see the difference between the two ways of asking, right? And like so, and one has data. Yeah, go ahead. I was about to say, and so, so is that what your app supports to help you keep track of that? Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. So the app is like, the app's kind of like a brag book, right? Like a digital <laughs> brag book. So it's like going to remind you. So it'll be like, hey, Amy, what's up? Hey, Julia, like, what are you stoked about this week? What have you crushed at work this week? What are you really proud of? What's something that's happened this week that you want to remember at pay raise time. Cause like, I don't even know what I had for dinner on Thursday. Like couldn't tell you, <laughs> like, I just, I don't remember. And so like, how can you be expected to remember what you did in February or April the 7th? It captures your know. wins. Like no one knows. Yeah. I use it. Right. So you track all your wins. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, cause our brains are really powerful. And like what happens often is when we get negative feedback, we kind of spiral and we just kind of, ugh, we kind of can't get out of that rut. And so we worked with a behavioral psychologist and the app really works on the nudge theory that instead let's focus on the positives and let's shift your mindset and your behavior towards more of that. And we want you to focus on those wins, repeat them, grow them, amplify them. And then it's like, if you did the win, but no one knows about it, did it even happen? Right. And so to your point, Julia, like asking in your pay review is kind of too late. You've really got to be doing your own PR all year round. You know, um, you need to be letting your boss and the decision makers aware of how you are contributing. And it might be that you organized an intern program. It might be that you organized a holiday party. You know, if you're in a non-revenue generating role, there's other things you can contribute to culture. You can contribute to cost savings. Maybe you noticed that you were using one type of photocopier paper and it was cheaper by a couple of thousand a year if you shifted to this other one. Like, I know that seems little, but like that counts and that adds up. So take a record of that, right? Quantify it. And you can use that um, basically as data to kind of advocate for yourself. Brilliant. So yeah, it is, it is brilliant. So when you're advocating for yourself and you're asking for more money, because some companies will, when they do performance appraisals, they're going to maybe up your pay a little bit anyway. And so how do you quantify that? How do you know what your worth actually is? Yeah. So, um, you know, the other thing you you should be talking to a recruiter every year as well, right? Because they have up-to-date pay information. They understand the market, the city, the town that you live in, all that kind of stuff. Um, So it's important that you do your research. So, you know, the way I see it is um, there's two options. You can there is no question that the gender pay gap sucks and I hate it. Like yeah. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. And like, I hope that I'm unemployed one day when we've gotten rid of it. Yeah. The bad news is though, is that the data tells us it's going to take like 90 to 200 years to basically eradicate the pay gap. Cause that's how long it's going to take society to kind of catch up and legislation and business to kind of catch up. Right. And so I don't really just want to kind of sit here and complain about it in the meantime. And I don't want that for your listeners either. Right. Like, If you are getting paid less, take matters into your own hands and like 
Um, it's not your fault that this pay gap exists, but there are things that you can do to contribute to your individual circumstance, yeah. right? So you can research, you can start to talk transparently with friends and colleagues before any job interview or um, pay raise conversation, talk to a white male colleague about what their salary expectation would be because the statistics tell us that chances are they are being paid more than you. Yeah. And so their benchmark will help you shift your expectations, talk to a recruiter, um, practice these conversations. And we talk a lot about that in the Pep Talk Her um, free career challenge, which people can sign up to. Um, it's just peptalkher.com slash challenge. Um, and we, we talk you through, you know, practicing having these conversations um, oh, and awesome. starting to ask for more and for money in small inconsequential settings, right? So ring your credit card company, and ask them if they will reduce your interest rate or ask them if they will refund you your annual fee. Because let me tell you, they will. I do it every year. <laughs> I ring my credit card company and I say, hey, I'm probably going to cancel it. It's like 90 bucks or 100 bucks. And they're like, oh, well, we'll just refund it or we'll give you the equivalent in Qantas frequent flyer points. And I'm like, sweet, thanks for coming. Next thing on the to-do list, right? So get used to asking the question. Sometimes people will say no, right? And that's okay, but you've asked the question because you've got to start to stretch that muscle so that when you're stressed and you're a bit anxious because it's your performance review and you're going to ask for more money, you're going to be more relaxed and confident because you started with little baby steps of asking for money, of asking for what you're worth, of asking for more in less you know, consequential situations so that when you're in the real deal, you just have more confidence. This is absolutely Brilliant. And I mean, something I, you know, I think I said it off, offline before we came on. When I ask my clients, uh, you know, doing a re we're doing a review for them and their income protections, um, you know, part of that review, I, I always remind them this is a time, this opportunity also to say, hey, have you actually asked for a pay rise? But also remind them that we are the biggest assets. Our ability to earn income is the greatest asset. So we want to make sure that we get all this right. So your advice is actually really about the fact that we yeah. are creating the life we want and deserve in our career, yeah. in our chosen work, that is actually just an energetic exchange for our income. And it's a great way of sort of, we do the research to invest, right? We talk about that on the show regularly, like always I'm drumming it into everybody. Do your research. Whatever I say, whatever Julia's saying, whatever your financial advisor is saying is great, but go away and what you've got to be comfortable with it and you've got to be confident and do your research. So your information here is absolutely brilliant. Thank you so yeah, much. No, I'm just absolutely thrilled that you've actually that shared was, all this. Yeah, that was amazing. Yeah, no, that was that was amazing. Um, also, I actually have one question, one more question as well. Um, so I'm just curious because you are working with some of those really big companies that we mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. What do you, what kind of work are you doing with them to, you know, create this shift? Yeah. So, it, so at Pep Talker, we have we're a B two C business, so we have a consumers um, arm, so people can download the app, they can follow Pep Talker on Instagram, check out our pay raise cheat sheet. Um, which is, I'm sure will be in the show notes, um, but it's peptalkher.com forward slash pay me more. And that'll give you some scripts and help you work through those conversations for free. And then a lot of the work that we do, um, I would say more than half of the work that we do is with enterprise clients. So we work with Salesforce. Um, we work with LinkedIn. We work with um, HSBC and brands like that. So they will bring us in because they want to support their female leadership talent. 
They want to support their employee resource groups and they want to have conversations, you know, on International Women's Day and different days like that. They want to have conversations around negotiation, around sometimes the pay gap. Some of them are happy to talk about that. Not all of them. And that's cool. We meet people where they're at because it takes a long time to turn a big ship. So, we're, you know, we're working yeah. with, with business to help change their policies so that pay equity is built in as part of their culture right? And as part of their systems and processes, because when you look at why does the pay gap exist? And I know that there's a lot of haters out there who are like, it's not a thing. It's because women have children. Now there's no question that when oh women God. take time out of the workforce, it does impact our salary, right? And also sometimes that's for kids. Sometimes that's for caring responsibilities for relatives and friends. So that definitely plays a part. But researchers, I was um, at a, a Time's Up event here in New York recently with some of the global experts on this from Stanford, and they were talking us through it. So basically, you can strip out the data, you can take out the fact, and you can account for the fact that women take time out of the workforce typically. So we can do that. And then there's still a gap, right? So they're like, hmm, okay. What's the second reason that could be for? The other big contributor is the types of careers that women are socialized to be more likely to go into. And so you see more women in roles like nursing, childcare, which are typically pay less than, for example, the financial services industry. So you can strip the data and actually account for that as well. So we can account for time out of the workforce and we can account for the type of job. And even when you account for both of those two factors, there is still a gap there is still a pay gap, right? And so that is the part that's particularly interesting. And researchers hypothesize that that gap is because of unconscious bias and discrimination, right? And the fact that, as we've already talked about, you know, nursing disproportionately women, and yet men are paid more in nursing. And so, you know, when you look at the numbers, it's a thing. And if you're a capitalist, like don't, don't be in favor of closing the pay gap because it's the right thing to do. Don't be in favor because I told you. Don't be in favor because, you know, you want to be ethical. If you're a capitalist, you should be in favor of it. If you want to be rich, you should be in favor of closing the gender pay gap because we know that when there are women executives um, on companies, net profit goes up. We know that when you invest in um, founding teams that have one, one or more more one or more women on the on the executive team, we know that they return multiple times higher return on investment for investors. And yet women are still getting a drop in the ocean of venture capital money. And so like, it's the right thing to do, of course. But also, again, if you're a capitalist, if you own shares, if you're an investor, if you have a retirement fund, you should be taking this seriously. Because if you do, and when we as, the, as a world do, GDP will grow, right? Company profits will grow. So this is not just a female issue. I read a white paper from State Street Global on that very topic and we were hosting a um, International Women's Day breakfast or brunch. This is a couple of years ago. We haven't hosted one for two years now because of COVID. But um, it was Linda from Straight Street who was presenting uh, and she actually works with State Street Global and I was blown away by that data, exactly what you said. So if anybody wants to actually go, I want proof in the pudding, the stats are there. There's actually, we were talking about ethical investing um, last week, and there are two ETFs that actually focus on women businesses only, and they are killing it. So there's back yeah, up there for anyone the who's disbelieving what you just said. 
100%. Yeah, they are outperforming the market, actually, which just goes to show um, the statistics are there. And, like, even even myself, you know, if I'm investing in a particular company, I was looking at investing in a particular company, and I went and looked at their remuneration report just because I like to check to make sure that, the you know, they're paying, paying the, you know, the board appropriately, um, just seeing how much they're, they're paying them. And um, the woman was earning substantially less than the man and I decided that I'm not going to invest into this company because I don't support that. So, Interesting. yeah, mm-hmm. it's just, it was, I, I don't, I don't actually have all the information. They might have, she might be working part time, but it was substantially less. Like she was on 70,000 and they were on like hundreds. It was just crazy. The numbers. I just, yeah. And this is where we can advocate change by doing this kind of research. Sorry. Mickey, you were going to say something? No, absolutely. And I think to, to Julia's point, like I think investors now, we do not want to invest in things and companies and products that ruin the environment for ourselves and for our future generations. We don't want to do that anymore. And to Julia's point, we don't want to invest in companies that don't value women executives to the same price point as yeah. their male colleagues. You know, it's just, it's not acceptable anymore. And so that's exciting for me yeah. because that's change. And, you know, it is frustrating and we have got a long way to go, but equally, you know, we are all in many ways standing on the shoulders of people who advocated and um, lobbied ahead of us, right, for the right for women to vote, for the right for legislation that means that it is illegal to be paid less, even though sometimes it still happens, right? So um, progress is possible and it's happening and it's exciting to me, everyone who's listening, who is making investment choices based on um, the UNDP goals, um, sustainable development goals, and, and, and on factors like ESG, sustainability, um, gender, all those kinds of things. And yeah, to see ETFs like the She ETF and others performing so well is, is a sign of the fact that, as I say, it's not just a nice thing to do and a cute little ethical, yay, let's all value gender equality. No, no, this is, this is, if you're a capitalist, get on board, you know? Yeah, hundred percent. Now I feel like we were meant we we did digress because we did not ask you the question that we ask all our guest speakers when we get started on the podcast. But what is your favorite investment and why, if you have one? Yeah, I mean, I think I think my favorite investment was probably my first one. And I think if you're listening and if you don't have an investment, um, just start with something. I think that's the most important thing. And I wish that I had been as diligent with my regular contributions forever. I was pretty good at it. I, I kind of, my whole thing with investing is I'm pretty lazy. If I'm honest, I work really hard at work. And so in my investing life, I'm pretty lazy. Um, and I'm trying to be lazy on purpose because I'm really trying not to stuff around with it. So I'm trying to automate and set and forget my investing. Um, so that's what I do. I literally, I invest automatically in Australia into Stockspot. Um, which is a robo-advising service, which automatically diversifies your portfolio into ETFs, bonds, gold, et cetera. Um, So that's what I do in Australia. And then I use a US robo-advisor here in the United States as well. Um, So I'm trying not to stock pick anymore because I used to be into it. When I first started to learn how to invest about 10 years ago, I was like, checking it every five minutes and buying and selling. And, you know, one, one investment, I think I made three or 4,000 percent was one of the first cannabis shares to list on the ASX back in the day. (laughs) Um, that was a punt, massive punt. Um, I didn't put much into it, but it did particularly well. And then, you know, probably the best investments that I've made have all been in the tech space, honestly. Um, so I do hold still a lot of the big, um, tech companies, 
you know, I hold a lot of Atlassian um, and Zero from from the Australian market. Um, and then, although I think Atlassian is actually listed in the US, although Australian yeah. companies, your, your listeners will know. And then here I've done really well on um, sometimes like I'll just, yeah, I don't know, but I try not to stock pick now. I'm trying to stick with ETFs. I'm trying to be quite strict with myself um, and just do ETFs because again, we know in the long run, um, if you listen to Warren Buffett and other, you know, Sally Krawcheck or whatever, like the time in the market is, is what's important. Um, but something that I've just started in doing maybe the last three or four years is angel investing as well, which is very risky, very risky, very illiquid <laughs> and a super long time frame, right? So you really need to be seven to 10 years at least, and you have to be willing to lose all of it. Right. Um, so I do a little bit personally, and then I'm also in a couple of big syndicates of some very smart, high profile people who have access to much better deals than I do. So I'm in some syndicates. So that's like, I guess something more interesting about my um, more recent investing. If you get that right though, that could be buying your home. Like it is, it's illiquid. It is a risk, but if you get it right, it can be incredible. You know, so I, I, we, you know, have, I've talked off, offline about that, but we've also got that investment sort of side, on the side, but this is what my husband and I do, right? All we do is invest in lots of things. So, but I love what you were saying, you know, you know, the set and forget and automate your and investing. I think that is brilliant. And so that's something, you know, um, we talk about and, you know, with clients that even that's what we're doing with our super, right? You get a portion of your income mm-hmm. that goes in there and it just mm-hmm. is diversified. Make sure it is a diversified fund and yeah, you automate and you don't have to worry about it. And it is in, in there the long term. And that's great because, you know, eventually that's just going to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow, which is fantastic. And I also think with angel investing, it's just great because you're also supporting other people who are trying to get started right. and get up and running. Um, and at the end of the day, that's just, you know, it's kind of like a giving, a little giving scheme because you're helping them get off the ground um, and you might get something in return. Hopefully in, you I mean, get lots is, in return. Hopefully. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot of money you're putting on the line, but yeah, you you, you know, you want to look for the right, right startups, but essentially if they do well, well then yeah. Definitely. And I think like, I think sometimes, and this is something that I fell victim to when I was younger, I was like, oh, like, you know, I saved my money and I saved in cash. So I was like, oh, I'm such a good saver. And I'd put it into cash, put it into cash, put it into cash. And then on like, obviously hindsight's amazing, but like, I should have just been investing it in an ETF, but I didn't know. And it's so funny because when I reflect, like it was my guy friends at college who had to teach me how to invest and tell me my first ETF was STW. And they were like, this is a good one. And I was like, okay. And they like taught, they were like, just do ComSec. And they had to really demystify it for me. And I'm so angry at myself because I guess I was just drinking at college and partying while they were like on the computer investing back then. Um, And it's so interesting as well from a gendered perspective that it's my male friends from college who had to teach me this. And and that kind of annoys me. So I hope the next generation of college students um, it's the women, well, both of them that are, that are teaching people that want help and support. But I think I just always thought, oh, it's safe in cash. What if I want to buy a house? What if, what if, what if, and then it's 12 years, what if, and you've done nothing. So, you know, I kind of wish that I'd invested earlier, but I'm still glad that I started when I, when I did, I think my portfolio, the last 12 months is up like 38%. It's been a freakish year. What? Yeah. Yeah, That's crazy. crazy. Yeah. And like, I had that same mindset as well, just save, save, save. Cause you know, I come from an Italian background and prop- property is, um, is the way yes. to go in our family. 
And so, yeah, I had that mindset as well. And But I was also really interested in investing and in the stock market. And so I was having conversations, mm-hmm. same as you, with other males. And I was finding that I would try to have the conversations with other females and they just weren't really understanding, you know, on the same sort of level. And then even going into yeah. uni and most of my uni, like my early uni friends are men. Um, and so I thought, you know, we need to start having these conversations yeah. and start empowering other women to learn about financial literacy so that they can, you know, get started um, for the long term as well. Because I think we should make talking about money sexy again. Like, I don't know, you know, like we just need, because like, I guess I just was like, oh, like what if I want to like travel? And travel is obviously very sexy too and amazing. And I don't regret the money I spent on travel, but like it would be cool if more of us were talking, you know, at dinner parties about what are you investing in? Like, what do you think about Ethereum price this week? Like, you know, did you see that (laughs) IPO on the stock exchange? Like, let's make that like just as normal as talking about like, what are you going to wear to someone's 30th or what are you wearing to the wedding? Like, I think if we can bring this back into the vernacular, um, it holds us more accountable um, and ho- hopefully makes more people interested in this because it's, it's just so exciting. Like financial freedom is exciting and having money that's like making you money and you literally are watching Netflix or at work, like so good. It's so yeah, good. Making money while you <laughs> sleep. I mean, we're, we're making money and, you know, we are vehicles, we are our assets in that respect. And, you know, this is why I love Pep Talker and what you're all about and what you're standing for. Um, and, I mean, this is not exclusive, as you know, to, to just um, the corporate world. It's, it's prevalent in, in sport. We know we've just seen, I heard your interview the other day. I've just had a mental blank with her. It was a surfer who had won a comp and there was, and she called out the um, judges. Yeah, that was yeah. brilliant. I mean, we've got, we've got to just be bold a bit and just talk about things like this in every aspect, not, you know, totally work. Yeah. Even since I started the podcast, my girlfriend came to me the other week and was like, oh, I just bought, bought Ethereum and just invested, invested in crypto. Oh, and I thought, oh my God, yay. I'm so glad like they're coming to me and trying to have these conversations. Cause we would, like I said earlier, we weren't having those conversations and this is kind of opening some doors. So I'm really hoping, yeah, it can change Definitely. the environment a bit. Absolutely. All right. So, <laughs> Yeah, the last question that we're going to ask, it's just a closing question that we're asking everyone as well. And so what is the one thing you can't live without? This could be an app, a person, something you've implemented in your everyday real life or like a morning routine or, yeah. Mm, um, mine is obviously can't live without my nephews and my little niece. So Aww. cute, um, <laughs> even though they're a long way away. Um, but I think my thing would probably be my gratitude practice. Um, I had this coach and she was like, she was meant to be for my business and whatever. And then she's like, okay, we're going to talk about gratitude. And I was like, Are you, why am I paying you thousands of dollars? This is an outrage. This is not helpful. Um, and then she kind of banged on about it and banged on about it. And then the message got through. And so basically I don't get out of bed now unless I've um, done three things that I'm grateful for. Um, you're supposed to write them down. I'm pretty lazy. And I just say them out loud or say them in my head or share them with my partner. Um, so yeah, I just try and start off the day with that framework Um, and I find that it kind of sets the intention to have a glass half full attitude for the day ahead. Um, yeah. So I find that super, super powerful for me. It is super powerful. We're teaching that at the moment. That's, that's actually reframing that's neuroplasticity right there. And it actually lifts your vibration and it changes the outcome of your day. Mm, I do it this morning as well. I'm such a fan of neuroplasticity. It's it's fascinating. We talk a lot about that at Pep Talker actually as well because it's and it's the same thing. Like again, the gender pay gap sucks. Fine, 
fact, we can all agree. But you know, you can change if you ask the question, you can change what information you have, you can change the way you frame that conversation, you can learn new scripts, you can shift your language, you can move away from saying, sorry, I'm late, and shift towards language like, thank you for your patience. So, you know, you, you can make tiny little shifts in your behavior that can add up to to be, a, you know, a serious change. Yeah, it's crazy. Like even how you were saying earlier in the in the episode, how you reframed the language of how to ask the questions with your peers and your colleagues. Right. Yeah, even just saying it like that, it already sounded like it didn't. It sounded less invasive rather than just asking, exactly. "What are you earning?" <laughs> Tell me now. <laughs> but yeah, I think this has been such a brilliant episode. There are so many rich nuggets there that you've shared through your wisdom, experience, what you're doing, your vision. I'm just so chuffed that you've um, taken the time to be with us today. Um, so thank you again so much, Maggie, for um, everything. Pleasure. It's been brilliant. Thank you. Yeah, no, of course. It's been great. And we're going to be putting thank you so on much. our show yeah. notes links and um, how to, you know, you, there's a few things that I'll get off you off, off, you know, off air, but we'll put all of that information. There'll be um, the link to the app. Um, there's also something you mentioned about um, sort of workbooks or things like that you've got on yeah, if people want support around having these conversations, jump on peptalkher.com forward slash pay me more. And there's a really cool cheat sheet there that will help you frame those conversations. Um, yeah, join our challenge. We run a career challenge four times a year that's free. It's five days. It's all about neuroplasticity and taking baby steps um, to lead to huge change in your career. So that's free to peptalko.com forward slash career. No, challenge, sorry. peptalko.com forward slash challenge. You can check out the free Pep Talk Her app as well. And then, yeah, send me a DM on Instagram. I would love to know that you heard about us through the podcast. Absolutely. And just so, just another ad, I am self-employed, um, but I use the app anyway as just another you know, again, a point of gratitude. I've got my wins and I'm like, I'm now celebrating them in a different way. And it's actually really cool. So I don't think if, you know, don't be limited because if you're self-employed and you're an entrepreneur that you can't use the app, the app's brilliant for, you know, regardless of whether you've actually got a job or whether you're, you're you know, working for yourself, because it is really encouraging to put your wins and share them with yourself or your team. Um, or your partner, whoever, it's brilliant. Yeah. Oh, I love hearing that, Amy. I'm so glad that the Pet Talker app is being helpful. I'm so nice to hear about it out in the wild. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Maggie. Today has been awesome. Um, but, yeah, thanks for tuning in to everyone in this week's episode. hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening today. Before you go, I want to remind you that everything discussed is general in nature. We are unaware of your personal circumstances, so the information we have discussed may not be right for you. It is important to consider your personal situation and seek financial advice from a licensed advisor. Amy Baker is an authorised representative of Lifestyle Asset Management Propriety Limited, Australian Financial Service Licence 288241. Recap Advice is a trading name of Recap Enterprises Propriety Limited, ABN 22607854240, a corporate authorization authorized representative of Lifestyle Asset Management, AFSL 288241. I would also like to acknowledge 
the Bidigal and Gadigal people who are the traditional custodians of this land. I would like to pay respects to the elders, both past and present of the Bidigal and Gadigal nations and extend that respect to other Aboriginal pe people. Thank you for listening and don't forget to share the love by sharing this podcast. Have a wonderful day wherever you are.